Good morning, church. Isn't it good to just come together and sing some of those classic Christmas songs? And it's just good for the heart, right? If you appreciate what our worship team has brought, let them know. Yeah. Well, if you are like me, you remember those days as a kid when Christmas break had ended, you found yourself standing at the bus stop waiting for the school bus to come and that dreaded first day back to school after break, right? Not the great day in the year. Like, oh man, we had this time at Christmas, it was fun, and now we got to go back to the classroom. So for me as a kid, there was this ritual where my buddies and I at the school bus stop on that day, I always remember the cool, cold January air, you know, so cold it kind of stings your lungs, kind of stings the nostrils as you breathe it in. At that moment, waiting for the school bus, and we would share of our spoils of our Christmas break adventures. And we would share of the things we had done, where we'd gone, if we went on a family vacation, the stuff we got, you know, especially as little kids. It was just fun to talk about what had happened over break. But there was always that kid, and you know that kid, the one upper. There was always that one upper amongst us, the kid who always, you know, went to a better vacation, went somewhere warmer, went somewhere nicer, stayed there longer. He got better presents. He got more presents. He got the present you wish you had found under your tree. We all had that one upper. My one upper's name was Rob. Now, that's not his actual name because we stream online and Rob may watch, so I want to kind of protect his, his, uh, you know, identity a little bit, but Rob was my one upper. And every year, as we would share about what we'd got for Christmas, Rob would one-up me. The year that I got the G.I. Joe hovercraft. Any of you all remember G.I. Joe? Some of you have no clue who I'm talking about. It was a great cartoon. Actually, it was a terrible cartoon. If you watch reruns, like, what were we thinking? But it was fun as a kid. But I got the G.I. Joe hovercraft. It was awesome. He got the aircraft carrier. The thing was huge. It was bigger than we were. And he got three planes to go on top of it. Like, what? The year that I finally got cool high tops... Rob got the high tops with a pump. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? It had a little pump on the top. You... <laughs> Inflatable shoes, man. Like what? Come on. The year that I finally got my cool 10-speed mountain bike. Because back in the day, 10 speeds was all we needed. We were tougher back then. I got my 10-speed mountain bike. That year, Rob got a go-kart. I got pedals for a bike. He got a gas pedal attached to an engine. Not cool. It just wasn't fair. Rob was always my one-upper. Now, I don't think Rob intended to make me feel bad about what I got. I think he was just excited to tell me what he got. And I think maybe he was excited to tell me what I did not get. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Either way, the issue was mine. It was my heart that wasn't quite right. You know, I was never unhappy with Christmas. I was never unhappy with what I got. My parents treated us well. I usually got what I wanted. I usually got really neat stuff. I I always got way more than I deserved. Christmas was always good in the Fitz home growing up. But suddenly talking to Rob, I realized there was this whole different level of happiness that I had not yet attained to. There was a level of happy beyond my happy. And it just stole some of my happiness away. You see, that's what happened. It wasn't just that I wanted Rob's stuff instead of my stuff. I wanted Rob's stuff in addition to my stuff. I had let myself become envious and greedy. 
We're in a series, a Christmas series, we're calling Colors of Christmas. A few weeks ago, my buddy Mark kicked us off real well with red, the color of anger, but he also wrapped that up with red, the color of Jesus' blood that washes us clean. Last week, we took a look at the sadness of blue Christmas, and we know in our world there's plenty of that to go around. Just this weekend, there are some people having a much bluer Christmas than they thought they might from those storms. But today, today we're going green. And green is the color of greed and envy. Green also happens to be the color of my favorite Christmas villain, the Grinch. I love that Susian story. You remember how the story goes. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight, or it could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew that every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a holly Who wreath. Don't you love that story? You know how it goes, right? The Grinch saw in the Who's what he did not have. He was envious. He was bitter. They were happiness. They, they had happiness. They had joy. They had contentment. And he lacked it. So instead of trying to find what they had, he was trying to steal it away from them so they would be sour and bitter and grinchy like him. Now some of you are thinking, Fitz, just keep reading the story. We like that better than you. <laughs> not going to happen. The Grinch saw this. And that's what happens, right? When we let envy take root... Now, envy is this nasty thing where we allow someone else's happiness to steal our own. We see their happiness, and maybe their happiness is better than ours, so we become less happy because they are happy, and that just doesn't seem right. But that's exactly what Asaph the psalmist had allowed to happen to him. Asaph records this in Psalm 73, not a traditional Christmas scripture reading, but bear with me. Truly God is good to his people, Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Church, we do well when we remember the goodness of God and when we seek to have pure hearts directed towards him. We're going to be taking a look at Psalm 73. If you have your Bible with you, you can feel free to open it to that. If you want to open up the Bible app on your phone and turn to this, I'll have it up on the screen as well, but you can follow along there. Asaph continues, though, As for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. You have people coming to mind right now? Faces, images of people you know? They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. No, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats, don't you love how straightforward scripture is? These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. You ever think that? You ever felt that way? You look at others and wonder why they have it so good when you don't? I mean, they're living a carefree life and you've got financial struggles, health issues, problems, challenges of life, pressures. As a friend, if that's you, welcome to the club. 
That's a pretty typical feeling, varying degrees of it, but most people feel a little bit envious from time to time, and a lot of people feel envious this time of year. So if that's you, we want to invite you to text the word GREEN to 502-289-1387. You can do that right now. You can pull out your phone, text GREEN, and I know it takes a little bit of courage to say, wait, this means I'm envious. Well, the people who aren't texting... They're just too embarrassed to do it too because they know they need to as well. So if you've been feeling a little bit of green envy this year, go ahead and text that. And we will send you a link to a reading plan, a Bible plan. It's about a seven-day plan connected to the Bible app. It'll give you some devotional thoughts and some scriptures to read and meditate on this week to help you redirect your heart from envy to contentment in God. Well, Asaph continues says these people they scoff and they speak only evil in their pride they seek to crush others they boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth and so the people are dismayed and confused drinking in all their words what does god know they ask does the most high even know what's happening does god even know what's happening is he even aware of what's going on in our world where is god Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. You know, envy doesn't know many limitations. Asaph here points out money, social connectedness, relational status, possessions, pleasures, popularity, health. It's the natural inclination of the human heart to ask why. To ask why do they have it so good when I don't? It's a natural inclination of the human heart to think that we should have it better, to think that we deserve more, and maybe they deserve less. Asaph continues with this. He says, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? Is this all in vain? All my time going to church, all my time doing the things you would ask me to do, God, is it all in vain? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. Some of you know that all too well physically. You wake up in the morning, you step out of the bed, and just getting out of bed, you feel the creaks, the pains, the hurts. Some of you, you know that all year long. It's not just because of cold weather. Some of you, your pain that you know is relational. For some of you, it's financial. For some of you, it's a deeply spiritual issue. And you wonder... God, why do I have it like this when they seem to prosper so much? Envy says it's not fair. Envy says I deserve more. Envy is the first one to inflate the balloons and hang the streamers for the pity party. And envy says I deserve more and you deserve less. In fact, it goes beyond. It says I deserve more precisely because those people deserve less. I deserve what they have. You know, envy's best friends are entitlement, jealousy, greed, and covenant. That's where envy takes us. Envy tells us not just that we want what other people have, but we want them not to have it. So we can. I remember as a kid thinking as Rob would share about his stuff, that like, just what's up with this? Rob doesn't deserve this. Rob's not as good a kid as I am. I mean, I was a pretty good kid. I was on the honor roll. I was respectful to the adults. I stayed out of trouble. Mostly, I mean, I was, a, I was a pretty good kid. But Rob, 
Rob was a troublemaker. He was a punk. He, he was a challenge to some of the adults. Why did he get all this stuff? Why did he get the things that I want? Why did he get more than me? It just wasn't fair. Rob didn't deserve that. Kids like me deserved that. I mean, that's where envy takes us. And the stink of the situation is no matter how good we have it, because I had it pretty good. I always got what I wanted for Christmas. always had a really good Christmas. I didn't have it bad. But envy always tells us that it's always greener for someone else. And then we just become green with envy. And it doesn't stop at the school bus stop as kids. We just grow those conversations up as adults. We, we grow up and we, we have a different kind of conversation. We find it in different ways. Maybe you've maybe received one of those obnoxious Christmas letters from the distant relative. You only hear from them at Christmas so they can tell you how good their year has been especially in comparison to yours. Maybe that distant friend who sends you the letter catching you up, maybe making you see how well they've done, maybe they've outdone you. Sometimes these days, it's not as much the snail mail letter as we just see it on social media pretty regularly. But you know, it's those kinds of letters, letters like this one. We've been hitting the gym pretty hard for the past six months now, and we've managed to enter middle age in the best shape of our lives. We both competed in an off-road obstacle race back in the summer, and we even placed in our divisions. CrossFit has become one of our new favorite pastimes. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's so good. I wouldn't want to dog that. I mean, that's a good thing. I like exercise. That's, that's good. But as I survey the rest of us, when I look at most of the people I know, I think if we were to write the letter, it would sound something a little more like this. We've continued to maintain mediocre health this year. We splurged on a Peloton, which we now realize is the world's most expensive clothes hanger. Because of John's recurring nausea, we've now gone gluten-free. Honestly, I couldn't tell you what gluten is, but I've become aware that it is in everything that I once enjoyed eating. Even still, we continue to eat ice cream and chips while binging on Netflix each night on the couch. You chuckle because it's true, because it's you. Or consider this excerpt from an obnoxious letter about the borderline genius offspring. Samantha continued to earn straight A's at the academy while managing to lead her club's soccer team in scoring. Her leadership as team captain earned their team a championship title in the junior national championship. She's already sifting through scholarship offers from her favorite universities. That's marvelous. Her brother, Christopher, not to be outdone by his older sister, continues to excel in school also. His science project earned him a trip to Boston where he competed with other older students at an elite MIT event. That's great. I love receiving that note. Maybe he'll get his parent. But you know, the reality for the rest of us is a little closer to this. And these are actual events taken from people I know. Names have been changed to protect their kids. Janie, our nine-year-old, started dance this year. The poor girl gets her coordination from her daddy, blessed with grace like an ostrich. She auditioned for the Nutcracker, and she got the part of a snowflake, because everyone who auditioned got a part. She smiled beautifully during the entire performance until vomiting on the sugar plum fairy. We were such proud parents. It's all on video. Jordan, not to be outdone by his sister, our three-year-old, he managed to pee in every air vent in the house this year. He also managed several trips to the emergency room for storing things in his nostrils, exploring the taste of poison ivy, and most exciting and our favorite of all, the home-built zip line down the basement stairs, which earned him more than one cast. 
You know, friends, there's always going to be someone who outdoes us, someone who one-ups us, someone whose life seems more put together than us. And with enough comparison to other people, what you will soon realize is that there is never any win with comparison. There never is. As long as we play the comparison game, there's always going to be someone one up on us. There's always going to be someone whose life seems more put together than ours. And you know what strikes me is whenever I compare myself to others, it's never to those who have less. It's never to those who are struggling. It's always to those who seem to have better. I, I usually find myself comparing my blooper reel to their highlight reel and thinking that's all good for them. You know, envy never takes us to the less fortunate only to those who seem more fortunate than us. And as long as we're looking there, we're always going to miss the perspective. We're always going to be spinning after the wrong things. We'll always end up bitter and envious. So comparing ourselves to others never ends well. We've got to find somewhere else to look. And that is exactly what Asaph eventually realized, returning to the psalm. Asaph said, I tried to understand why the wicked would prosper, but what a difficult task that is. It's like chasing the wind, never going to fully understand it. It says, but then I went into your sanctuary, O God. I just want to pause there. I, I was looking everywhere else. My heart was dismayed. I was bitter. I was chasing all the wrong things. But then I went back to you, God. I got in your temple. I went to your place. I hung out with your people. I got in your word. I sang your songs. And my perspective changed. So church, that's what we need. Spending time here. Man, I am so, so grateful that we have the online option for so many of you joining us out there at this moment. And for some of you, that's the only option you have because of health concerns or the situation in life. Some of you who are shut-ins, some of you who live so far away from us, we're glad we have the online option for you. But for some of you, you've allowed it to become a crutch. You've allowed it to become way too easy to just do church in your PJs. And it's time to come back and to get in God's sanctuary. Because as good as it might be to do church with us wherever you are, it's always better if you're able to be right here in person with the rest of us. There's just something special about gathering with God's people. You know, you heard us say a lot at the front side of the pandemic, the church isn't a building, it's a people. And that's true. The church, I'm gonna tell you, the Greek word for us is ekklesia, Literally translated, it means the gathering. So the church is not a building, it's a people, but it is always a people gathered together. And when we gather together, good things happen. And God does some of his best work. So Asaph says, I went back to your sanctuary, God, and I finally, let's go back to that last one, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked, of those who've turned against God. Verse 18 Truly you put them on a slippery path and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. Moving on. In an instant they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. And then Asaph says this, Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was wrong, he says. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal, a wild beast to you, God. Yet, I still belong to you. Isn't that a beautiful statement right there? 
even as senseless as we can get, when we come back to God, we know we still belong to him, and God holds our right hand. What a beautiful picture of how God leads us. And he goes on, you guide me, Lord, with your counsel, and you lead me to a glorious destiny. What a beautiful picture that is of where God is taking us, to a glorious destiny. It says, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Oh, church, that we'd be able to say that, that God is what we desire most, more than anything else. Asaph continues on, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak. We know they will. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you, God. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. Church, say that with me. How good it is to be near God. Say it one more time with strong conviction. How good it is to be near God. Amen to that. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. He's my home. And I will tell everyone, I'm not going to leave anybody out of this. I'll tell the whole world about the wonderful things that you have done, God. Amen to that? Amen. Now, part of that may have struck you. Part of that may have struck you like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's Asaph talking about? That God will destroy those who abandon him? That God will allow the people who are wicked to perish? Yeah. Listen, Jesus isn't just a sweet savior born in a manger. He is the eternal king of glory who demands our worship. And our worship is to him is what's best for us. It's not what God wants from us alone. It's also what he wants for us. That that's the best thing for us. But until we surrender to him and we acknowledge that he is a leader and Lord as well as savior, we're gonna miss it. Guys, the gospel is more than just a transaction of I go to God and I get out of jail for free. I don't have to go to hell. The gospel is a surrendered life to a benevolent king who reigns eternal in power and glory. And unless you follow him, you'll miss out on that glorious destiny that the psalmist speaks of. So turn to him. You know, Asaph had let himself become kind of scroogey He was a Grinch-like guy, but then he went into the sanctuary and he realized that all the riches and all the good looks and all the prosperity of this world can't soften the end to a wicked life. He regained his perspective and remembered that God was with him even in his affliction and he remembered that those who put their trust and their hope in God will have a glorious inheritance. Inheritance this world came and compete with better than anything this world can offer us. You know, Asaph needed a change in perspective and he found it when he went into the sanctuary of God. It's kind of like that turnaround moment for the Grinch. You remember, the Grinch had stolen all the presents from the Who's down in Whoville. They were in the sleigh. He was up on the cliff. He was about to push all the presents over to ruin the Christmas. And then he hears them singing down below, singing their songs and smiling and having Christmas despite the gifts. And little Cindy Lou Who down there, and her sweetness. And so instead of dumping the Christmas presents, he brings them back to the, who, to the Who's in Whoville. And they invite him in and they celebrate with him and they even allow him to carve the roast beast. Right? What a great scene that is. And you remember what happened to his heart that was two sizes too small? It grew three sizes that day. 
You know, that's what happens when we do what the psalmist has told us to do. When we get with God, when we make God the desire of our hearts, when we get into his sanctuary with his people, we sing his songs, we give glory to him and give him the worship that he is due, our hearts grow. Friends, we could be tempted to have a Grinch-like attitude at times. All of us are tempted towards that at one time or another. And so the solution is to do what Asaph did and to remember how good it is to be near God. Until you find yourself drawing closer and closer to Jesus, you'll always be discontent. Because nothing in this world will bring you contentment. Contentment is found only in God. We will be discontent until we find our contentment in God. So, when envy threatens to shrink our hearts, let me remind us of just three things that I think we can pull from this to allow God to strengthen our hearts, like Asaph says. When we do that, we may just find that our hearts grow a few sizes. When envy tempts us to cheer for others to fail, because that's what we want, we want what they have instead of them having it. When envy would tempt us to cheer for the failure of others, let's instead minimize envy by maximizing compassion. Let's remember that the people who look like they have it all together probably don't. That sure, their house may be beautifully remodeled, but their marriage is collapsing. That maybe their kids are killing it in all their activities, but their marginless lifestyle is killing that family. That maybe, maybe they have all the great looks on the outside, they wear the right clothes and they exercise all the, t- all the time, but on the inside, they're just shriveled up and they're a wreck spiritually and emotionally and relationally. That maybe... They'd win the popularity contest, but they are the loneliest they have ever been. Instead of cheering against them, church, let's opt to pray for them. Because even if they have all the prosperity this world offers, without Jesus, they are as poverty-stricken as it gets. And we need to make them some of the everyone that we will tell about the good things God has done. So let's minimize envy by maximizing our compassion. Let's also, when envy tempts us to complain about what we don't have and want what we don't have, let's remember those who don't have as much and let's minimize envy by maximizing generosity. Generosity steals the fuel from envy because it takes the fuel, it takes the the focus off of me and puts it onto those who don't have less. It spins the whole thing around. Instead of looking at those who are more fortunate, we would look to those who are less fortunate. And we can be generous with our time and generous with our energy and generous with our prayers and generous with our compassion. But let us never fail to be generous also with our resources and our money. Let's be as generous as we can. You know, a great way to do this is by partnering in our Love the 502 initiatives to love the people in our community and to help introduce them to the love of Christ. And especially this time of year, the Love the 502 with the Home of the Innocents, where we are blessing those children as JC spoke of earlier. You know, give them that cute little nightlight. It is really neat. I like mine. You remember how the famous poem, The Night Before Christmas, ends? You remember that line... Merry Christmas to all, and say it with me, to all a good night. But you know, it's really tough to have a good night when you don't even have good bedding. Such a simple thing that so many of us would take for granted. A clean set of sheets. You know, the home of the innocents provides care and compassion for thousands of kids every year. Some of those kids 
don't have parents, don't have much family. Some of those kids have medical issues and have health issues. Some of those kids have disabilities and their disabilities and their medical issues cause them to need clean sheets more regularly than maybe most of us would understand. What a simple thing that we can provide a set of sheets. What a difference that might make in the life of a kid who wonders why. Why me? Why do they have it so good and I don't? Well, maybe we could just provide a little bit of love that says, we love you. So does God. We care about you. You know, a good set of sheets that goes real well with the pink princess nightlight. You can go ahead and get that for him. Friends, if you have not yet made a contribution for the Home of the Innocence Initiative, I urge you today, before you leave, to stop by that display right through these center doors, the display in our lobby and demonstrate generosity and compassion to those kids. I'm not sure what we could do that's more than that. And, and, you know, you can make a financial contribution, you can pick up the thing, you go buy something in the next couple days. But the thing that all of us can do is grab one of these and pray for those kids. And if you've grabbed one of these, you've been praying, I know we went through a lot of these last week, I'm so proud of you, church, for deciding to pray for those kids on the regular and pray for the people who work there, pray for the, uh, everyone associated with that place. But if you've not done that, listen, prayer is not the least of the things you can do for them. It's the most. Prayer is the most powerful thing you can do for any of the people attached to Home of the Innocence. It's the most powerful thing you can do for any of those kids. So if you don't have any other way to contribute, pray for them on the regular, daily. Pray for those kids. It's the best gift you can give them. Well, lastly, when envy tempts us to be discontent with what we have, Let's remember how good we have it. <laughs> Let's minimize envy by maximizing our gratitude. There's an old hymn, Count Your Blessings. Some of you remember that one. Some of you too young maybe to sing that too often. But the line from it, count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Yeah, some of you, just, you're ready to start singing it with me right now. Like, oh yeah. Church, I want to encourage you to actually do that. To make a list and and keep adding to it. Go back and check it. Check it twice. You know, remember how nice God has been, even despite your naughtiness. See what I did there? Yeah, that's the Christmas list you need to make. Is your gratitude list. Write down as many things you can think of what God has done for you, the blessings He has given you in your life, and then look at that and with a, grat- a heart full of gratitude, give your thanksgiving to God. Pray a prayer of thanks for what God has done. And listen, if you have put your hope, your trust in Jesus on the top of the list. And if we never get anything else good in our lives, we've already gotten way more than what we deserve. When we're tempted to think that we deserve more, let's all remember that because of our sin, what we actually deserve is far less and far less pleasant. But because of God's mercy, the gift we're offered is so much greater than anything we could ever deserve. We're reminded in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for our sin, what we have earned, every single one of us, is eternal separation from God and one another. A spiritual, physical death that results in hell. And I know hell's not a very popular topic, and hell's certainly not a popular topic around Christmas time. But I'd be doing you a disservice if we just skimmed over that. Because that's the truth, that's the reality. Is that what our sin has earned us is hell. 
But I love this. I love that it doesn't stop there. Because the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift we're offered is not that we have to go to hell, but that we can have life, not just life someday in heaven, but life right now of a surrendered life that is full and overflowing, a life connected to Jesus now and forever, a life that follows him and experiences all the grand adventure with him. Church, that's the gift. So with all the gifts we'll give this year, of all the gifts we'll get, of all the shopping we'll do and the gift giving and the unwrapping, let us not forget this most spectacular gift of all. That that little baby who was born in a manger grew up to be a man hung on a cross and a savior who walked victoriously out of a grave and the king who will return for his people one day. May we put our hope and our trust right there. And may we celebrate that. If you've never received that gift of life with Jesus, and I urge you to do that today. If you're online, just type your host. I want that gift. I need that gift. I want life with Jesus. If you're here in person and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, please stop by the Next Steps counter in the lobby before you leave today because we want to have that conversation with you. There's no better gift you will ever get in your life than life with Jesus. And if you have taking that gift, if you do have a life surrendered to God, the church, I pray that we demonstrate the reality of our followership of Jesus with our compassion, with our generosity, and with our gratitude. Let's pray. God, you are good and gracious to us. God, your compassion overflows and your Your grace overflows. Your generosity to us knows no end. And God, we can't even begin to understand the height and the width and the depth and the length of your grace, of your love. God, that you would take a cross for us so that we could have life through you. God, too often we we turn our eyes from you. We, we look at the things of this world and we start desiring all these worldly things and we let our hearts get sour and bitter and grinchy. God, may we once again return our gaze to you and see that you are the most desirous thing in heaven and on earth, that you are the benevolent king who demands and deserves our worship. And that there is nowhere better for us than to be close to you, God. So may our hearts celebrate with gratitude your grace, your love, your generosity, and your compassion. And may our lives overflow your compassion and generosity to everyone we meet, everywhere we go. And we pray this, that you would get the glory, King Jesus. Amen.